Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, a Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds and today I am talking with Michelle Reyes. Michelle is the author of Becoming All Things, um, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Cultures. Uh, Michelle, welcome, welcome to the program. Josh, thanks for having me. Now, I want to start um, personally with your story. Uh, so how did you, how did you come to write this book? Yeah, well, so my, my husband and I, uh, my husband, his name is Aaron. He's second generation Mexican American. I myself am second generation Indian American. We are church planners in Austin, Texas. And that, you know, oh goodness. You know, over a decade ago, we felt the call to church plant. Uh, we, we planted Hope Community Church in 2014 here on the east side. And uh, we just, we feel passionate about um, the call to, you know, to, to, to speak into uh, spaces of culture and, and race and justice through vocational ministry and, and, and advocacy. Um, and, you know, I feel like through through church planting in East Austin, which is a historically disadvantaged uh, black and brown community, uh, you know, you can still see the effects of segregation today. Uh, and even just day-to-day vocational ministry entails crossing cultures, uh, you know, between African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Latinos, immigrants. Um, and, and you know, we just, we just have a, a passion for, uh, you know, all of those demographics – being represented in our church, being represented in the leadership of our church, uh, impacting how we do ministry because uh, we we love the church first and foremost, and and we long to see it live out its calling and witness in the world. Uh, which you know we can look at Revelation seven verse nine where we see this multi ethnic, multicultural body of Christ worshiping God in all of our languages and expressions and cultural identities. Uh, and 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 there it's this vision of the future of all of, of of the people of God coming together where there's no culture or people group that's superior over another, and where and where the world sees us worshiping and uh, this worshiping body and better understanding who God is, is is through us. And so um, that is in many ways my heart for why I wrote this book is is, is becoming all things. How small changes lead to lasting connections across cultures. It's 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 a resource for the church, um, you know, certainly individual Christians as well, but but um, but also for for pastors, for for leaders, uh, for elders to, to to read this and and to to uh, be encouraged uh, to, to to feel the invitation uh, to lean into this biblical model um, and to to lean into what true. Uh, connections across cultures and equal valuing of cultures mm-hmm. uh, looks like um, for the for the watching world. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's so great. This is this bringing cultures together and building diversity. I mean, that was it was one of the major issues of the early church. If you go back to you know the Book of Acts and the the Gentile and Jewish communities trying to figure out how mm-hmm. to be believers together uh, and i i find it so interesting that you know 2000 years later we are really having some of the same conversations and working out the same things you know this is 
this this isn't an easy thing to solve. Uh, I don't want to call it a problem, mm-hmm. but it, it, it it's a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. And build building diversity is is so difficult, whether that's ethnic background, cultural background, language differences, socioeconomic differences. There are just so many barriers to building a diverse church body. Uh, how how did you, how has your church tried to navigate those challenges? Yeah, well, through through humility mm-hmm. and 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 love certainly. Uh, but you know, I think that there are some intentional ways that you can go about. Um, building a multicultural, not just multi-ethnic, but a multicultural mm-hmm. church. And and that's, that's one thing that is important to, to differentiate between is because, you know, um, and no shade on churches, you know, to talk about, you know, hey, we have people from, you know, 48 countries around the world represented. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And there are churches that are in uh, predominantly refugee uh, you know, counties and whatnot around around the, the the country, but also around the world that um, have all of these different people with different skin colors and languages and and and, and whatnot, and that's powerful. But but multi ethnic does not translate to multicultural mm-hmm. automatically uh, because you know multicultural means the existence and equal treatment of different cultural values, mm-hmm. ideas communication style, different forms of worship, even different forms of leadership. And and by nature of that, if, if that truly exists in your church, that sort of multicultural um, body, it should be very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like people will always be in a, in a semi-state of, of, of discomfort. And I think... Uh, Corey, Dr. Corey Edwards, she has written a lot about this, about the multicultural church, uh, and, and she wrote an article for Christianity Today recently, uh, just talking about, in many ways, the failed experiment of the multicultural church, in that um, the majority of multicultural churches fail to fully live out a true multicultural expression in, in, in terms of that equal presence of values, thoughts, communication, because they are limited to the extent, um, the, you know, they, they can only be as diverse as as their white congregants mm-hmm. are comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a very powerful word because, um, you know, we, we, we sometimes give lip service to diversity. You know, oh, look at up front, our, our singing. We have all these different people, different ethnicities singing, um, you know, or, or, or whatnot. But... But are, are those people uh, in positions of power mm-hmm. in the church? Are they steering the ship? Are they are they making decisions that impact the church's uh, discipleship and spiritual formation and, and finances and, and, and things like that? That's that's a big difference between multi-ethnic versus multicultural. And so when it comes to our church, um, one we we value the local leaders. Uh, the, 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 the pastors, the staff, the elders in their church, they are all people who grew up and, 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 and were raised in East Austin, um, Latinos, immigrants, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, um, who, who get the community, who represent the community well. Um, and there's a, there's a diverse spectrum of thoughts 
and ideas and even approaches to vocational ministry in our leadership at Hope. Uh, and and I, you know, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm the pastor's wife, but I, I think Aaron, my husband, does, does a good job of making sure that every person at the table, that their voice is heard and valued and that we we explore different ideas. We don't just say, ah, we've never done that before, so we're not going to give that a try. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we are open to experimenting, to trying new things. Um, so I think that, that's a big thing, is what does the leadership of your church look like? Who's making the decision-making? Um, is it reflective of the community and the congregation? Um, because that's in many ways how you can tell whether a, a church is multi-ethnic and and or if they're paying lip service to 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 multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's that's such a good point. I like the way that you differentiate between multi-ethnic and multicultural, um, because there are uh, you know a, a lot of larger churches just by virtue of numbers uh, have enough diversity in appearance, uh, sort of superficial diversity, that they can say, "Look at how diverse we are." But that doesn't seep in to the power structure of the church or the culture of the church. Um, I have found it an issue in American Christianity that um, probably specifically within evangelicalism is my personal experience that there can be a prevailing idea that um, white white people – don't really have a great grasp of their own culture and what their culture is. Mm. And, and mm-hmm. so when they're just saying, well, this is the church, um, they're not seeing this is white church culture that yeah. they're, they're, they're just being like, well, this is church culture. Uh, and very, <laughs> very early on in the book, you, you sort of touch on this and, and, um, you said that, that not having to think about your own culture is an ignorance born of privilege. And that we see that in a lot of areas. We see that um, I know a lot of white evangelicals would be like, well, I don't I don't see race. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. see color. And, and I, I really do think that the majority of them have good intentions behind that. Um, but you're saying that can have harmful consequences. And one of the consequences that I'm hearing from you is that you, I don't see color means I don't understand, but how majority culture silences and suppresses minority cultures. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think this is, and I, I have to be careful and, and, and nuance uh, mm-hmm. what I'm about to say, because in, in no way, do I want people listening in who are white to feel as if they need to be to feel guilty just for, for, for being white? And, and so I, I want to differentiate between people who have fair colored skin, you know, white people versus the concept of whiteness, mm-hmm. uh, which basically encourages all people. It's that this is it's the idea of the melting pot, the melting pot theory of everybody assimilating and, and sort of coming into this one conglomerate Anglo 
culture, if you will, such that even you know people that are are, are from England and Germany and and uh, France and, and 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 whatnot, they have lost their distinct European ethnic heritages or have become disconnected mm-hmm. from them um, to this sort of just generic white American culture. And 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 not only that, but within white evangelical churches, um, because of this massive disconnect um, from from our cultural backgrounds, from our ethnic heritages, you know, issues of culture and race aren't preached from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, race and culture are not incorporated into discipleship or spiritual formation. Um, and, and, and it leads a lot of evangelicals to then come to the conclusions that issues of culture and race are antithetical to the gospel, uh, that they're antithetical to God's word. Um, but, you know, if you, if you even go back to uh, Revelation 7, 9, as, as I mentioned uh, mm-hmm. before, that, um, you know, we, we have to value uh, a multicultural body of Christ uh, because this is God's intent from the very beginning. If, if, if the picture of the new heavens and the new earth, our future reality is that we retain our cultural expressions and identity. And if we pray, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then this is, this is an intent. This has to be an intentional pursuit for us of, of not only developing our own cultural identity, but also seeing and valuing the cultural identity of others because to use revelation seven, nine as our, as our, our foundation, choosing not to develop your cultural identity or choosing not to celebrate the cultural identity of others it actually inhibits our worship of God. Uh, and, and, and that's not something we talk about. And I, I think that, that, that would be a, a big hiccup or hurdle mm-hmm. for a lot of white evangelicals to, to, to really um, grasp uh, or, or swallow, if you will. And, 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 and maybe even the pushback of like, oh, you know, first century Jews weren't thinking about this or, or, or whatnot. And, and, and my, my, uh, sort of response to that would be that, you know, in, in, in biblical times, people didn't have to, quote, develop their cultural identities because they were so aware of who they were, mm-hmm. <laughs> of their ethnicity, of their cultural uh, community, uh, if you will. They understood what tribe they were from, what clan they were from. They they were so connected to their ancestors through food and clothing and celebration and language um, that they didn't need to have this big push of like, yes, let's let's reconnect with what we've what we've what we've lost. Um, and 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 so, you know, we can't we can't be quick to say, well, look to scripture. Uh, people aren't reconnecting with their heritage heritage because they were in a different boat than we are today. And so it's not a one to one parallel. Um, but anyways, that's 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 more. I'm, I'm giving you more than what you asked for in that question. No, no, no that, that's great because I think that, I mean, that, that is that is how it goes. We are, as uh, um, so many white people can't trace back their heritage, uh, you know, or can't very far. Um, and so there, there is just this idea that um, my culture is, when, when your culture is majority culture, then you are used mm-hmm. to just feeling comfortable wherever you are 
and it's not something right. that, it's not something that you ever ever really think about. Um, you don't have to think about it because you know everything. It just seems like you know everything fits, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of people when they when they are looking for a church, when they are looking for a community, uh, for a people group to spend time with, uh, they want to enter into that community and they want to feel comforted. Uh, you have a whole chapter in your book about how we need to embrace discomfort culturally. <laughs> what what does that look like for you? Yeah, well, you know, to, to lay down some foundations, you know, I think it's important to understand um, when, when, when I'm talking about cultural identity and how I define it in my book, which I base off of, um, you know, current research from, from cultural anthropologists like uh, Dr. Brian Howell from Wheaton College and, 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 and others, uh, our cultural identities are the narratives born from our uh, ethnic heritages. Uh, and it's important to define it in this way because what we're saying is that our cultural identities, what makes us us is this composite of stories, um, uh, experiences, perspectives on the world. I mean, my cultural identity as an Indian American means that I have a distinct way of seeing the world, that I have a unique set of values as an Indian American. Um, and so cultural identity begins within. Uh, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that, is that uh, you know, sometimes people think of culture just in terms of food or clothing or language uh, or things like that. And, and those are manifestations or expressions of our cultural identity. But, but cultural identities first begin with, with, with mindsets and perspectives, um, ways of thinking and feeling and values. And so, um, when it comes to cultural discomfort and it comes to um, truly accepting other people, like my charge isn't just simply you need to learn to like tacos <laughs> <laughs> or uh, you need to learn how to, you know, do Bollywood dancing or, or, or something like that. Right. Or attend mm-hmm. uh, some cultural festival. Uh, those can be great. Those can be great relationship, you know, relation building and, and things like that. But when it comes to embracing cultural discomfort, this means making space for other people's uh, worldviews, other people's perspectives. Um, and, and that's actually where I begin my book. I share a story about a conversation that I had with two dear old college friends, um, both of whom are, 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 are Anglo-American. Uh, and I'm trying to tell them, like, we are not the same. You and I... We view the world different. I see the world differently from you. And and, and, and large part has to do with the fact that I have brown skin, that I've experienced uh, racism in this country, you know, and, and all of that. Like, I see that. I, I, I have a different lens through which I view um, our society, through our politics, <laughs> um, conversations on, 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 on culture and race, certainly. But even how I read the Bible, it's different as an Indian American versus even my husband as a Mexican-American versus, uh, you know, some of my friends at church who are Anglo-American and, and, and so on and so forth. And so um, can, can we make space for that? Can we make space for different people's views and opinions and perspectives on the world and to say, wow, what that person is saying or thinking makes me incredibly uncomfortable. 
I don't agree with it. I, I don't like what they're saying, but for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to listen. I'm going to try to better understand why they see the world that way, um, you know, to be a humble student um, and, to, and, and just to love that person as being a fellow image bearer. Like we have to start there. So when that, when all that to say, that's, I think, our litmus test of embracing cultural discomfort. Mm-hmm. I, I can speak for me um from from 2013 to 2020 then i was a pastor at a primarily chinese church and if there are listeners who may not know me i am not at all chinese i'm very white (laughs) and i moved from a town that i I just looked this up on wikipedia uh, had fewer asian people in the town than the church that i was now a pastor of um So inside that building for the first time, I wasn't part of majority culture. And I I had worked uh, in different areas that were diverse, uh, but were still, you know, majority white. And this was the first time where even though I was coming into this situation scenario with some um, leadership authority, then... It also had the challenges of suddenly I'm I'm the minority, and it really mm. it really helped my my own personal perspective uh, because you know I had the ability to to step out of being a minority whenever I wanted. You know I could I could yeah. leave church and go down the block, and I'm back in majority culture and what uh, you know and how I grew up and what I feel and I. And that's not the case for mm. for all of you know all of my friends that that this place this building was really the only place where they were the majority culture and they did feel completely understood and it really um, it really aided in my own personal spiritual development uh, just even even outside of just being a church leader uh, but just to, to to have that have that experience and. What I have found in talking to people is that there are, and I think especially now, in the people who listen to this podcast, and if you're listening and you don't feel like you identify this way, you can call me out on it, but a lot of people who listen to this podcast are probably like me. Uh, they're, they're younger, you know, maybe 20s, 30s, 40s, and they're white. And they're evangelical, but they're kind of not really wanting to say that out loud right now. Uh, mm. And and they want to know how to engage in these issues of racial reconciliation and justice. But they may live in areas that are really just homogenous. Like there's not there's not a lot of diversity in the areas that they're living in. And and I'm thinking specifically about the area that I grew up in uh, that tends toward being rural and white. How do you develop cross-cultural friendships, but especially how do you develop them when they're just not much of an opportunity to? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, a first sort of encouragement is that, uh, you know, not every space, including rural spaces are as 
as uh, diverse as, as urban contexts and cities. And so if you're a church in that setting, you don't need to feel guilty that you don't have the 30 uh, countries from the, around the world represented uh, or that you're lacking in some way. So I just want to share that first as an encouragement. Um, I, I will say at the same time, uh, the suburbs uh, and even certain rural areas are more diverse at times than we realize, mm-hmm. um, in part because we, we are seeing uh, sort of that reverse uh, uh, white return to the city uh, and, and, and mm-hmm. with the ramifications of gentrification in a lot of mm-hmm. major cities, more and more black and brown peoples are moving into the suburbs and into more rural areas. Um, and so they, they, they might be in your backyard, you know, they might be across town, across your town, so to speak. And so um, part of it is learning how to become more mobile and active within your city or your town, um, going out, taking, making the effort to go outside of your way to, to, to go to that grocery store across town or that, 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 uh, playground or uh, maybe even that school or that church uh, that's not just two minutes two minute drive from your house um, to find <laughs> people of a different ethnicity and cultural background and I think that's the model of, of Jesus that's the model of uh, the Apostle Paul and the disciples is that they were they were people on the move uh, going from from place to place meeting people. Uh, I love Jesus's interaction with Zacchaeus where he's like, hey, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house today and, I'm, and let's eat together. Uh, and so I, I think that as we move around, it's not just like a diversity checklist like, yep, I went, you know, I go once a month to that Asian supermarket across town. I got my Asian groceries, you know, but like the, the point of going to these, these other spaces, these other cultural spaces is for relationships, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to actually meet real people and build real friendships, uh, to eat together, uh, and, 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 and for lives to intersect. And so, um, you know, sort of that two parts be as, as Christians, we must be people on the move in our town to find the people who are different from us. Uh, and, and, and as we do, our goal should be relationships, the conversations, the eating together and, and, and whatnot. So um, I, that would be my, my, my commendation for, for people who, who feel like, I, I don't know where to start. But, and then lastly, um, if, if you really, whether, you know, to be honest, whether you're a white person in an urban context or a rural context, you can still sit under the teaching of Christians of color. Um, and I, I still think we have a long way to go in that. Uh, I, I'm grateful that over the past year, particularly since the death of George Floyd, um, May 25th, 2020, um, a lot of Christians have finally you know, sort of woken up and realized, oh, goodness, maybe we do have race problems in our country. Maybe there are real issues of racism. And they've, they've taken to the books. They've started to read. Um, and I'm grateful for that, although I do, I, and I'm speaking as an Indian American here, too often conversations on race and culture are still limited to a black-white racial divide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are books by Latinos, uh, Latinas, uh, you know, Asian Americans, both men and women, uh, Native Americans that, that, that should be read, um, leaders in all of those different communities that, that, 
we need to sit under the teaching of, um, and you know, even for example, my own book, I'm grateful that that the people are, are reading my book, that they're, they're they're writing positive reviews on Amazon, all of that. Uh, but more than one person has told me that this is the first book they've ever read by an Asian American Christian woman, wow. and that comment still sits with me because it mm-hmm. shows that we are not used to sitting under the teaching of Asian voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so I guess it's the two, my two part answer to your question, Josh, is both be people on the move, um, getting to know the people in your, in your, in your town and city for the sake of relationship and, and be a constant learner, you know, look at your bookshelf. Who are you reading? Who are you listening to? Who are you following? And, 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 um, not necessarily, you know, replacing, uh, you know, white, white reformers and, you know, Anglo-European theology, but, you know, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, these, these guys are important, you know, we can't just throw them out, but, but how can we diversify and expand our bookshelves to include uh, global theology, global Christianity as well? Mm, that, that's so good. That's really good. Uh, your last point reminds me of um, at the at the church that I worked at. We we had an English service uh, before the Chinese service, and I I led the English service. And the the people who attended tended to be the youth, uh, high school, college aged, uh, you know, a few people from the community, and um, just maybe some younger families or or people who felt like English was their primary language, second generation. And inevitably, probably three or four times a year, we would get some visitor um, that was there for some school assignment uh, that they were in in one of the universities in Tulsa, and they had been given a cultural assignment for some class. And it was to go, you know, go get out of your comfort zone and go visit a you know something with a mind i it, all all the things differed on exactly what it was um uh, so i would always greet them after the service and be like you know how did you learn about our church you know what uh, led you to come here uh today and um you know they would tell me all of this and like okay well now that you've sat through a service where you just listened to a white guy talk uh why don't you stick around <laughs> why don't you stick around because you haven't gotten like, like you may have come here thinking Oh, this is this is an, enough. But like, no, you need to you need to stick around for the next service because that's really, really the what it's it's like we we really really struggle to get out of our safe zones, and so even when we're told mm-hmm. to get out of our safe zones, we're looking for what is the least amount that I can I can do, and it just, it just brings you back to the idea of you have to allow yourself to not feel comfortable uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, for people in majority culture, that is, it, it's just, it's not something that, that we're used to. Um, yeah. Later, later in the book, uh, and I think this kind of ties, ties to that, that you, you're writing specifically to people of color and you say that, that they, they can and should be themselves in white spaces. And for some white mm-hmm. listeners, it might come as a surprise that, you know, what do you mean people of color aren't being their full selves? Uh, you know, what do you mean? Uh, so can you can you explain what code switching is and what that might entail? <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, well, first to that, that quote is interesting. I was actually 
I've, I've actually had more than one conversation with um, fellow Asian American Christians mm-hmm. um, about about that line in particular. Um, I was just on on a phone call last week with a with a fellow Indian woman, um, and she said, <laughs> I think she says that she like shouted or screamed or, or something when she <laughs> when she read that line, um, and 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 ended up actually having a, a long conversation with her husband because she realized that um, for her whole life, and, and, and she's been in predominantly, you know, white evangelical spaces for her whole life, she's, she's bent over backwards to make sure that her friends, her fellow, you know, church uh, friends and, and, and even neighbors and coworkers and whatnot always feel comfortable around her. Um, and this is, this is oftentimes where that conversation about Asians being white proximate comes into play uh, that there a lot of us uh, for, for different reasons, right? Out, out of fear for of, of sticking out and being uh, made fun of or shamed or um, not, you know, losing out on job opportunities or, or what have you. We bend over backwards to act white um, so that the people around us feel comfortable. They don't feel threatened. Um, they don't get that feeling of like, whoa, what's wrong with this person <laughs> because they're different. Um, and, you know, talking with my friend last week, she was like, I, I need to do a better job of um, being myself. And, and if that means, uh, you know, maybe like sharing well, here's actually my, my opinion on this subject as opposed to disagreeing uh, with, with everyone all the time or, or, or whatnot. Um, and if that leads to confusion and then that leads to the hard conversations, okay, let's have the hard conversations and speak truth and love, but I need to learn how to better be myself. And, and in essence, that's what code switching is. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, on the one hand, we all code switch to an extent, you know, like when my husband and I were dating, uh, we tried to put our best foot forward <laughs> to present the best picture of ourselves. Uh, we do that in job interviews too, where we're, we're trying to make ourselves look as, as, as great and, and skilled and talented as possible. Um, but when it comes to minorities or, or subdominant cultures within a dominant cultural space, code switching basically is that inner voice that says, okay, um, you got this, just act white. And, um, you know, I think on the one hand, we do have to hold to the words of scripture, uh, like first Corinthians nine, 19 through 23 that I, that I share about in my book of becoming all things to all people, mm-hmm. learning to adapt the way that we, 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 we present our ideas, the way we speak, our tone, our voice, our body language, um, so that the hearer understands, uh, and is pointed further toward God and to Christ and, and, and whatnot. But we can do that while also not being ashamed of who God has made us. Uh, you know, we can, we can accommodate to others while being fully proud of our God-given cultural identities and the ways in which our, our skin colors and our, our bodies and our heritages reflect God's image in the world. Um, and so, so we can strike that balance of, of, um, Developing our cultural identity, not being not being ashamed of it, while still, uh, you know, being basically being ourselves, while still um, learning how to best connect with other people for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That, that's that, that's really good. Because um, 
I want to I want to sort of finish out, and and I'm just going to ask this question really bluntly. Um, how can how can white people do better? Because what I'm finding in conversations that I'm having, and I know that, that I'm there personally too. That you know this has been a, a journey for for myself in in trying to um, trying to educate myself and trying to advocate for justice and to to undo these cultural biases and um and, and apologize for the way that people who look like me have historically treated people of color throughout history and there are a lot of there are a lot of young people who are just sort of grappling with yeah. all of that and uh, you mentioned you mentioned the the murder of George Floyd as being a a catalyst for a lot of young white people to uh, any and o- older people as well. Um, but to mm-hmm. you know just for for the switch to flip and to be like, oh, um, so there's this there's a lot of desire to do better and. Historically, though, when a whole bunch of white people have just rushed in and said we're white and we're here to help, <laughs> it's not gone well. Um, so, so what what can white people do to to engage and to to protest and to be an activist? Uh, but to do it in ways that that honor the fact that this is a journey that people of color have been on for hundreds of years. That's good. That's such a great question. Um, yeah, I'll I'll say two things briefly, Josh. The first is, um, you know, cultural competency, if you will, the, the racial sensitivity. These things begin when you listen and observe more than you speak. Um, and, and, and that's something that I've, I've, I've stressed to different uh, folks in the different country co- conversations, that cultural competency begins when you listen and observe more than you speak. And, you know, we can even look to James chapter one, right? Those like be, be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. And, and, mm-hmm. and when it comes to issues of culture and race, we have, be a student and an observer. Um, you know, I, I think, I've had too many conversations with folks that feel like like they 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 know the answer, they know how to fix the problems, they know how to solve racism or yeah. or, or whatnot, uh, and and uh, they come to me with all of these ideas, and I'm and 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 so often I'm like, man, your heart is in the right place, like you want to help, yeah. and I love that, but but you like. You're not proximate to any of right. <laughs> any yeah. of these issues. You're not proximate to our community. You haven't experienced this personally. Instead of coming and trying to tell me what you think is the right solution to fix all these problems, come come and and sit and listen to me or or or, or fellow people in the community and and hear our stories. Um, hear hear what we think the solution is for our own community, and then. And then walk alongside of what we're doing instead of coming in and thinking you've got the best idea as if as if we've never thought about how to, how to care for our own communities. Um, figure out what the community is doing and, and say, how can I walk alongside and support what you're doing as opposed to trying to come in 
do something new, cre- you know, create the wheel um, with oftentimes the the hope of, of, of getting the attention and the, the, the thanks for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so don't do that. <laughs> Ch- you know, challenge yourself um, to be quick to listen, slow to speak and um, to to listen to real people and real needs. Um, and, and to that vein, I think what we should be saying to folks is, is I care um, how, you know, and, and also like you said, be, acknowledging the history of pain, like I'm, I'm so sorry for what our mm-hmm. country has done, what my people have done. I'm, I'm sorry, I care, how can I help? Like we should be asking those or saying those three things to each other. And that's not just even from white to black and brown. I think it's between black and brown to each other as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I care. How can I help? And I think the more we listen to each other and hear each other's pain and needs, we can respond uh, accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I, want to wrap this up. Um, This has been such a great conversation. Um, For, for the book, if readers could just only take away one point, I know this is so hard because obviously when you wrote this, you put everything in the book for a reason and all of it is like, you should know this. Um, but if there's just one point that you definitely wanted people to come away with, what would it be? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think you know, so much in my book is about being willing to change and mm-hmm. to, to, to try new things. And uh, I think it, it's, a, it's a simple com- concept, but one that's hard to grasp is just because you've done it one way doesn't mean it's the only way or that it's the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even, I haven't experienced this in, in, in teaching because uh, I used to be a German professor and, and when I was in school and, and the way I learned German language and German grammar by my teacher, by the time I was teaching myself, the models had changed. <laughs> uh, and, and at first I was like, no, oh, I'm no. not teaching yeah. this new model. <laughs> like they, they, like mm-hmm. the students, they, they've got to learn the way I learn things, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I remember my professor at the time speaking about German grammar, but was like, just because you learned it one way doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. Um, or the or the only right way to do it, and and to be open to this new method, to this new model, and I think I think that's such a wonderful uh, lens in which to approach culture and race is is when we are interacting with different people, with different cultures and ethnicities, things aren't always just right or wrong. Just because just because you don't do that, or just because you don't think that way doesn't mean it's wrong <laughs> and, 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 and to not uh, ascribe those, those judgments or those sort of moral categories of right and wrong. Uh, sometimes it's just right and left, you know, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think if people can walk away with that from my book um, and then say, okay, just because I don't do it this way doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, and, and, and then be willing to like learn uh, why someone does what the, what they do, I think I think we are setting the the pavement for 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 a healthier path forward when it comes to cross cultural relationships. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, again, the book is Becoming All Things by Dr. Michelle Reyes. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for taking time to be on the program. It, it's been a really great conversation. 
Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you about all these things, Josh.